I'm very excited about this series because I always want, when we say words like the Apostles' Creed, want the words to have meaning for us. Not just we're saying something, we know what it means that we're saying. Uh, This section we're in now is, I believe, in the Holy Spirit. Let, Let me begin with what life has been like for all of us recently. COVID-19 has really resulted in the global distress of the human spirit. I mean, globally, people are just distressed and stressed to epic proportions. This diabolical virus has robbed us of our daily routines, totally uh, put our lives into upheaval, It dispossessed us of comforts that we were used to, and we realize now comforts that we took for granted. This situation, this virus, has now stolen loved ones from our presence, and for many, shaken the foundations of a society. It's left us more divided than ever. I see people who call themselves brothers and sisters arguing over masks or no masks and shots or no shots and things that brothers and sisters should never be divided over. Things we should be gracious about and kind about and understanding about. And somehow this thing has got, it's not just a virus, now it's a political movement it seems like. And it's pulling at people and it's upsetting the norms of our life. I've had experiences. Listen, maybe it hasn't touched your life, but just a little bit. But I've had experiences that are mind-blowing in the last two years, really. I mean, I have I never imagined as a pastor I'd be standing in a hospital parking lot under a blazing Texas sun, gathered with a family... And there's someone's old Whataburger cup. Somebody's pumping gas over here at QT. We're standing outside the hospital entrance because we can't get into the hospital to see our loved ones. We're standing in the parking lot of the hospital with family while we ponder if our loved one upstairs is alive or dead, going to recover or not going to recover, No one can go in and hold their hand. No one can gather for prayer by the bedside. For me now, because that's been my life for 30 years. So for me, this is mind-blowing, you know, to do ministry at the tailgate with people who can't get into the hospital to be with their, their loved one. You talk about taking things for granted. I always took for granted that we'd be able to go in when someone was dying and stand by the bed and hold their hand and read the scripture and pray together and be present together in that way. Listen, as a church, we took for granted the gift of praying together in the presence of our church family. We took for granted the gift 
of worshiping together. What you just experienced in the last 15 minutes was spiritual. Uh, uh, That was a connection with God as you were singing about the greatness of God. And I have the evidence of God's goodness all over my life. Listen, during this process when that was taken from us, when the gift was lost, you realize what you've lost. We are people created for community. We were created for connection to other people. We were created for this dynamic of personal presence. And the removal of personal presence, whether it was from isolation, you know, you're quarantining, or whether you were sick, or, or whether it was the removal of personal presence because you lost a loved one during all of this. Listen, it shakes you to the core. This has been, been distressing. And it shakes us to the core because in each one of us, there is a God-given desire. It is in your who, <laughs> DNA. It's who you are. In the very makeup of your life, you are designed to interact with people. You are designed to be in the presence of another. You were designed to thrive in communion with God. And communion with God is really the very foundation of your faith. You were never designed to live apart from the presence of Almighty God. Uh, you know, we, we're not all wired the same, and I get that. You know, obviously, I'm an extrovert, and many of you are, but in equal proportions, maybe more, you are also introverts. We have, we have many of you who you're self-proclaimed introverts, and you know that about yourself. You'd rather be a, a little more isolation, isolated than, you know, up in front and, and talking to people. I, we've seen some curious things during this little period right here because many of our self-proclaimed introverts right here in this congregation have had personal epiphanies in the last year and a half. And when they were about midway through this whole quarantine situation, they suddenly realized that they were not nearly as introverted as they thought they were. In other words, you say, I, I don't really need to be around people and I never want to be around people until you can't be around people. And then all of a sudden you start saying, gosh, I need to be around somebody. And even introverts were longing for that connection. Uh, some of us are kind of in a middle space. And, and, and even those content with space and silence have longed for togetherness, the presence of loved ones when it went missing for too long. And it's still going to keep going. We're not, we're not out of this by, by a long shot, I believe. The tragedy of COVID is the loss of personal presence. Maybe in some ways a pandemic was precisely what needed to happen so that we would recognize that presence is an exquisite gift from God. It, 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 it is what makes life so rich you know i was thinking that presence is the staple food that nourishes the human spirit and then i thought no it's not the staple food the presence of others is like that delicious treat that actually makes life worth living it's like the the rich thing you look forward to it's like you can't live on dessert but you sure look forward to it 
And maybe you can't live constantly in the throng of people, but you need that moments, those moments in your life. And they need to be regular moments where you're feasting on fellowship and presence is something that we, I guess now we all could consider we took it for granted that we would always be able to do all that we've always done in the way we've always done it and we realize suddenly, you know, I mean for a year we, we told parents you can't come into the building, drop your kids for the preschool and we'll get them at the front door and we'll take, just every little routine of life has been completely overturned. Presence, e- even human presence, is so much a part of who we are that by the second page of your Bible, God is addressing the issue as a problem. God begins to speak in Genesis 2, and the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. We need fellowship, companionship, communion. He needs the presence of another like him to have fellowship with. And you can say, well, God was there. Wasn't that enough? Evidently not. Because God said it's not good for him to be in isolation. Uh, Susan and I, every once in a while, will watch a, 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 a movie together. We were watching News of the World, Tom Hanks, and it's about the Texas when Texas was the frontier. And, and it's very, at moments, dark. And, and, and you feel the isolation of people who lived out here by themselves on the prairie and all the bad things that could happen to you in isolation. I've told you stories of the pioneers who went west. Lots of them went crazy. They went nuts. Listen, I challenge you, go Google photos from the pioneer days and look at the crazy look in their eyes in the photograph. It's like they all have PTSD and the thousand-yard stare and they're traumatized by what they had to, the life they've had to live. Let me say it in a different way. Whatever Eden was, it was something that mankind has forever tried to recapture Whatever it is, it's really what we've always, every generation of humanity longs for a better world, a world where this, a world where that. And what they're saying is we've always longed for what God made in the very beginning. The problem is that mankind wants to make a utopia without God in it. Man wants to make it its utopia that we create. The problem is, we should have figured out by now, is you can't create it. There is the whole problem. Because it is the presence of God that makes paradise, paradise. The reason it was paradise is because God was there. And all of this goodness was there. And His presence was there. And encouragement was there. And community and fellowship. And it was all there because God was flowing it into the presence of of humanity. What made paradise paradise was God's companionship with the humans that he had made. What made creation perfect, the reason the lion and the lamb are not tearing at each other and the reason the, the, the Adam is not pulling grass burrs out of his bare feet is because God is there and creation is in harmony because God is flowing his presence into this temple called the Garden of Eden. 
Eden was filled with the presence of God and the humans were as well. And the presence of God was his spirit. This is the way I want you to start shaping your thinking now. From Genesis, where the Bible opens, to the captivity, which I'll talk more about in a moment, until Israel goes captive under Babylon in the mid-five, late-five B.C.s. From Genesis to the captivity, the presence of God was his spirit living among his people. And I'm going to use the word among because I want to distinguish it from in in a few minutes. God was living among his people from Genesis to the captivity. Yes, you don't have to email me. I'm just, I understand. I have to speak in generalities right now. Yes, there were very special and rare occasions where the angel of the Lord or an angel of the Lord would appear to key players in the story of God's people. And in that appearance, he would give them some special instructions. But that appearance of the angel of the Lord was not normative. That's what I want you to grab a hold of. It's not normative for God to appear to someone in the Old Testament. What was normative was God's spirit among his people. And if you say, well, I see God appeared here to Abraham, he did. I see God here appeared to Jacob, true. I see God appeared here to Moses, that is a fact. But when you only have like this many examples of that, it's the exception, not the rule. The rule was the Spirit of God was among his people, and I'll talk about how he was. But there were a few rare cases where God appeared in a different form. Now, I want you to begin to reflect upon what life would be like without the presence of God. Because when we talk about Adam and Eve sinning in the garden and the fall of mankind from their relationship with God, this is really what we are saying. The, the fall in Eden was to lose the presence of God. They were driven from the garden. And an angel barred the way with a flaming sword and said, No coming back in here. In the day you eat, you will surely die. A spiritual death, separation from the presence of God, began to happen in that moment. And whatever the fall was, it was so horrible that it sent the world into cataclysm. When you start reading chapters 3, murder, murder, murder. 3, 4, 5 the world descends into absolute chaos. Reflect on what life is like without the presence of God. It's Genesis 3, 4, and 5, and 6. That's really what it is. This is the result of the fall in Eden. The human condition without the presence of God is to be fallen. And since the humans rebelled in Eden... God no longer had a people. Adam and Eve were his people. He made a people, and he was present with them. But when they rebelled against him and they were driven for his, he no longer has people. And so, once you begin to think about God wanting a, a people, and God was so gracious 
is, I shouldn't say past tense, God is so gracious, but I'm speaking about what happened in the past, so I'll use was. God was so gracious and so kind back then that he gave several do-overs. And without me getting into a lot of detail, there's the story of Noah and, and, and kind of a hard reset of things. And God keeps trying to work with the humans, and they say, we don't want you, God. They build the, the, a tower of Babel, tower of their own worship, tower of human excellence, a tower of we'll build utopia without God. We want, we want paradise. We just don't want God. Uh, we don't, and so God has no people. But here's the thing. God loves the humans so much, he won't give up on them. So God initiates several attempts to reestablish a people. And no nation will follow him. These are the early chapters. No nation will rise up and say, listen, God is our God and we'll follow him with our whole hearts. God, if you'll have us, we'll be your people. That's not happening. That's what you don't see happening in the opening pages of the Bible. And so since no nation will be God's people and nobody's making an attempt really to, to follow God with their whole heart, God decides to make a whole new people group for his own people. He's going to build a nation. I mean, if he can make an earth, he can make a nation. And so God says, I'll call out, I'll develop, I'll build, and whatever words you want to use, I'll make a whole new people who want to be my people and who I want to put my name among them. So God initiated the formation of what you would call Israel as his people, as his own people where his name would dwell. Okay, Israel is God's idea. Does this make sense? Israel's an idea, born in the heart of God. There is no nation that will follow me. I'll make a nation. So Israel is God's idea of a people who will come together with a heart to want a relationship with me. And if, if a people want a heart to have a relationship with me, I will put my presence among those people. And I will have fellowship with them and I will call them my people and they will call me their God, but since there are no people like that, God says, I'll initiate, I'll just start from scratch. So here's what God does God finds a Gentile living in Iraq. His name is Abram. It will be changed to Abraham. He finds a, a, a man living in Iraq, a Gentile, and uh, there's no such thing as a Jew up to this point. And God says, Sir, you're the person I want to use to start a nation. I, I, I want to start a people, have a heart for God, and I'm calling you out of your people group. We're going to go start a whole new people group. I want you to leave the land of Iraq. It's called Ur of the Chaldees back then. I want you to leave the land of Iraq, and I want you to journey to a place I'll show you in Canaan land. Now, I, I just need to give the Cliff Notes version of this for sake of time, but the man is an old man. He's not a youngster. His whole life is an old woman. She is barren. They have no children. They can have no children. So immediately you're scratching your head in this amazing story and saying, how's all this going to work out, right? And so God makes a covenant with Abraham. And I would recommend if you don't know about covenants, go back and find our covenants series and re-listen to it. And God makes a covenant with Abraham and says, you and your descendants are going to be God's people. I'm going to make a people, and you're going to be my people. And I, I, and I want you to have a heart to follow me, 
and, and this is the relationship. I'll be your God, and you'll be my people. Now, let me fast forward that story 400 years for sake of time. Fast forward the story 400 years. Those people have multiplied to 70. Okay? Now they go down to Egypt and they live because Joseph is now the prime minister. One of those people is working a government job in Egypt. So he moves his family to Egypt, but the Jews in Egypt multiply so rapidly, the historians tell us there's probably a million, maybe three, one to three million people of Abraham's descendants now living in the land of Goshen in Egypt. And so a Pharaoh arises who knows not Moses and Joseph and, and, and enslaves these, uh, Joseph and enslaves these people. So now we fast forward to the story 400 years. The people that God chose to be his people, their fate is they're now slaves in Egypt. They're slaves in Egypt. So how's that working out? Uh, it, 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 God's people are slaves for 400 years. They, they forgot who they are. They don't know their story. They don't know they were special. They don't really know uh, the, the creation story, the call of Abraham. They've lost their story. They've lost their identity in Egypt. All they know is we are a conquered family of people who are now slaves in Egypt. And it looks like this is our destiny to live and die in the brick pits, building pyramids, building these things for, for Egypt. So now God raises up one of these people who by crazy twist of fate is also living in the palace of Egypt and is a government official now in line for the throne named Moses. So God calls Moses to deliver God's people and bring them to Mount Sinai where they'll separate from this Egyptian mess for the last 400 years and once again be reconstituted as the people of God. Now that's a real Cliff Notes version of the story that, that you're reading in the first five books of the Bible. So now all the children of Israel gathered at Mount Sinai and in this series I've taken you there several times when we talked about God. And I've shown you the thunder and the lightning and God speaking and how they gathered at Sinai. They're at Sinai to cut a new covenant. God said, okay, I made a covenant with Abraham hundreds of years ago, but I'm going to make a new covenant with you today. Let's renew the covenant relationship. And the first five books of the Bible are being written by Moses because they don't know their story. So Moses is telling the story of who you are as God's people, and you're going to see it in beautiful language that I'm about to read to you right now. They meet with God at Mount Sinai, and Moses begins to tell the people who they are. I want to read some two passages out of the writings of Moses, and I want you to really grab a hold of how beautiful this language is. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. Listen to what God is saying to the people. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all of the people on the face of the earth to be his people, his, what are these next two words? So if I say to you as the people of God, what I'm saying to you is you're God's treasured possession. 
You see, gold and silver and stocks and bonds and cars and houses are not God's treasured possessions. People are his treasured possessions. A people who have a heart for him. If you have a heart for him, this is what he's saying to Israel now. You are my treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people. No, as a matter of fact, you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you. It was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors, to Abraham, that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is faithful. He is faithful. Listen, the the problem is on our side. He is faithful. Keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations that love him and keep his commandments. Man, I'm reading that language this week and it's just ministering to him like you're God's treasured possession. You are God's holy people. When I'm reading passages like this, it almost seems like God desires a people more than he desires anything. Like the most special thing, like if, you know, you have things that are special to you, you might show someone, listen, here's a little treasure I have that I've collected or a little thing that's important to me. God said, let me show you what's important to me. My people are my treasured possession. Let me me jump about 20 chapters and show you what Moses and God are, what's happening here. Deuteronomy 26, verse 17. You have declared this day. Let me tell you what happened. God said, I'll be your God if you'll be my people, and we'll make a covenant. Here are the covenant rules. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Thou shalt make thee any graven image. Remember, the Ten Commandments start flowing, and some, some, some guidelines for the covenant start flowing. These are the covenant rules about being in a relationship with God. And if you want to be my people, I'll bless you. Above all, you'll be my special treasure. What do you say? And the people said, yes, we want that. Okay? So they have made an agreement with God. Now watch the language. You have declared this day that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in obedience to him, that you will keep his decrees, commands, and laws, that you will listen to him. was a big one, that you will listen to him. And the Lord has declared this day That you are his people, his treasured possession as he promised, and that you are to keep all of his commandments. He has declared that he will set you in praise, fame, and honor high above all the nations he has made. And that you will be a people holy to the Lord your God as he has promised. This is some beautiful language in your Bible. It's almost like a wedding ceremony is the way the theologians describe it. Do you take this God to be your only God? Will you be faithful to him? Do you take this people to be your people? This is exactly what's happening. They're entering into this solemn marriage type covenant. 
So here's what God told them. God said, I want you to build a mobile temple. You guys know it's the tabernacle in the Bible. I want you to build a mobile temple, a temple that can, that's portable. I want you to build a mobile temple until a permanent temple can be built later in Israel. And when the mobile temple is ready, then God's presence will come down and dwell among his people. Now, I don't have time this morning, but if you want to read more about this, uh, it's Isaiah 63, where the prophet actually says that the presence of God that came down was the Holy Spirit. That they grieved the Holy Spirit of God when he was present with them, okay? So when the presence of God comes down, the prophet Isaiah said the Holy Spirit, God was present among them in his spirit. And as a matter of fact, when you get to the book of Ephesians and Paul starts telling the Ephesians things, grieve not the spirit of God. Have you all ever read that in the book of Ephesians? Paul is not making that up. Paul is quoting Isaiah 63. The prophet Isaiah is looking back to the story of Moses and God's presence among the people. But let me keep the story going. Having been delivered from Egypt, God's people gather at Mount Sinai and they get the instructions now for how to build the mobile temple, the tabernacle, okay? God gives the instructions. I want you to build a table of incense and a table of showbread and a candlestick and it's going to be this big and I want you to build an Ark of the Covenant. Here's what I want you to put in it. Here's what I want the court. God starts laying out the instructions for how to build the mobile uh, temple that they're going to build. And between the giving of the instructions and the actual construction of the mobile temple, right here in the middle in your Bible is that abhorrent scene that great disaster of the golden calf now i'm hoping everybody's tracking with me god says i'm gonna make mobile hot make a mobile temple and before they could get it built right here in the middle they've made a golden calf an idol and they have started to worship the idol and they have completely uh, turned their back on God and Moses he's on the mountain listen our attention span is very short we don't know where he went it's been like five minutes so let's just move on and we'll just make ourselves some gods now to say that God was upset would be the understatement of the century okay I hate to characterize God as peeved and ticked and but I'll let you decide for yourself okay and matter of fact, when I read these passages, I want you to think about what relationship this feels like in your own life. To me, this feels very parental, but I'm going to read for you. Exodus 33. So the people have worshipped the golden calf. Moses ground it to, gold, uh, to powder. He made them drink it. The girth sw opened up and swallowed some of them. I mean, the whole judgment's been passed. Okay, everybody's caught their breath. The adrenaline has ceased. And now God starts to speak. Listen to this. God says to Moses, Moses, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you. After all of this, ten plagues parted the Red Sea, gave the Ten Commandments. Yeah, these people are just too much, man. I was trying to make a people for myself, and they're down there worshiping the golden calf. 
To say he's ticked would be an understatement. He says, you guys go to the promised land and I'll send an angel with you. But I'm not going. Let me read this. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. This is God speaking. But I will not go with you. Because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and to pull off their ornaments, kind of put on a weeping clothes, if you would. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites you are a stiff-necked people, and if I were to go with you even for a moment on this family car ride up to the promised land, I might just pull over the side of the road and destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I'll decide what to do to you. Does this not feel parental to you? When I'm reading this, I'm just like, this sounds like my mom and dad threatened to pull the car over. This sounds like, now, my mom and dad love me. They don't hate me. I'm their people. But they disapprove of my behavior. You see what's happening? You say, well, God's really snotty here. No, I just think you think of God as sitting around going, um... God has a personality. And God can be sassy. And if you don't think of that, and if you think that's irreverent, you need to keep reading. Let me read a little bit more. This is just juicy, wonderful stuff. Exodus 33, 7. Now Moses, same same passage. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it on the outside of the camp some distance away. And they called it the tent of meeting. This is where you get the idea for novels like The Cabin. You may have any idea what I'm talking about. There's a tent. Listen, we all live here, but over there, way out by itself, there is a tent. And when they wanted to go inquire of the Lord, Moses would go out there to the tent of the meeting and get alone with God. That makes sense. This is what's happening. Okay? And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of the meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all of the people would rise and stand in the doorway to their tents. And they would watch with reverence until Moses entered the tent of the meeting. And as Moses would go into the tent, the presence of God, the pillar of cloud, would come down and stay at the entrance to the tent while the Lord spoke to Moses. Now this is wild stuff, isn't it? Let me read a little further. Verse 12. Moses, in that meeting at the tent, Moses said to the Lord, Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know who you will send with me. You told me you weren't going, that you were going to send an angel because you were so ticked at us. But Lord, you told me lead them, but you haven't told me who you will send with me. You have said... I know you by name. You've made a personal relationship with us. And you have found favor with me. But God, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and I may continue to find favor with you. Now, Exodus 33, verse number 13, probably should be a prayer that every Cornerstone member should be praying on a regular basis. 
God, if you are pleased with me, then God, please teach me your ways. I want to know you. Teach me about you. Teach me your ways. God, I want to please you. I want to continue to find favor with you. Remember, God, this nation is what? This was what Israel is. It's God's idea of having a people. 14. The Lord replied, my presence will not... Sorry. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, please do not send us up from here. God, if you don't go with me, I don't want to go. God, if you don't go with us, please do not send us alone without your presence. Are you starting to understand the power of presence now? Moses thought that God's presence was the biggest thing ever and begged God not to send his people into tomorrow without the guarantee of God's presence going into tomorrow with his people. Let me keep reading. God, if you're not going to go with us, please do not send us. Verse 16, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? Watch this statement. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Now I want you to begin to feel the magnitude of this as you sit here this morning. What does distinguish you from all the other people on planet earth? The presence of God in your life. And this is a great theological truth that Moses is having this parental moment with God. And God says, okay, okay, I'll go with you and I'll be with you. And Moses says, but God, please make that a guarantee because if you don't go, how will anybody know we are your people if we don't have your presence? You know what the implication of this is? If you don't have God's presence, maybe you aren't his people. Can I make it personal for a minute? If the Holy Spirit's not in you, you're not his people. How are you and the Holy Spirit relating to each other these days? What is that feeling like? What is that... How is that informing and instructing your life? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I do know you by name. Now let me just summarize again. From that moment when God said, I'll be with you. Okay, I'll put my presence there in the tabernacle, in the mobile temple. You will see my presence and I will be with you all the way. God was with them from that moment for the next 1,000 years until Israel began to forsake God and go after idols. And when they did, they broke the terms of the covenant and they went back on their agreement with God and in judgment came the captivity of the, the Babylonian invasion and the Babylonians came and invaded Israel and destroyed it and took thousands upon thousands captive back 
to Babylon as slaves. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Nehemiah is going to be over there. These, these people are over there in that captivity. But here was the greatest tragedy for Israel. God was no longer present. His presence was lost again. Not the first time it's happened in history, but it happened again. And Israel's failure caused them to forfeit God's presence. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. As I said, thousands upon thousands were carried away as slaves. And even the remnant of people that evaded captivity and stayed and remained in Israel, those people were no longer distinguished by the presence of God. In other words, even though the temple's there in ruins, there is no pillar of fire. There is no presence of God. God's presence has been removed. Now let me give you the timeline again. So from the captivity that I just described until Christ's first coming to earth, now we're dealing with the prophets. The end of your Old Testament. From the captivity to the New Testament, till Jesus arrives the first time, the prophets are on the scene. And and the prophets are assigned the mission of enforcing the covenant. They're communicators to God's people to say, if you break the covenant, judgment's coming. And if you honor God, he'll love you and you'll be his treasured and special people. And the prophets talked about in this era, in the good old days, we had a temple and we had the presence of God and we were a special people and we were marked and distinguished by having the presence of God. And that was a sad message. But then they would give messages of hope and they would say, but there's coming a day again when God will once again uh, uh, renew his presence among his people. And the promise of renewed presence was a running theme through the prophets' writings that you'll have, you know, uh, psalms all the way really into the end of the Old Testament. I want to read a few of those prophecies. Here's the things the prophets said. I will make a covenant of peace with them, and I will make an everlasting covenant, and I will establish them and increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. God said, I have not given up on Israel. The idea, the concept of a people for God and the prophets were prophesying it's going to happen again. God's going to pull his people together and he's going to dwell among them. Malachi said this, I will send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his people, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire. He will come, says the Lord Almighty. And these prophets are foretelling that God will once again come to Israel and inhabit a new covenant temple. Let me say it that way. But I want you to remember that Israel is a concept. It is the concept of God having a people who have a heart for him. It's not about being Jewish. Israel, from your point of view, is not about being Jewish. It's about having a relationship with God and being God's people. A people with a heart for God. Remember what a temple is. A temple... A temple is a place where God dwells among humans. It's where God's presence is among people. A temple is a spiritual 
hot spot, if you will, where you can connect with God. It's a hot spot where heaven and earth connect together in one specific place. And so the prophets are speaking about a massive shakeup that's about to place, take place on planet earth. And then God is about to do that thing that God does. He's going to fulfill all of these promises, but he's going to fulfill it in a way that nobody expected. Stay with me now. I'm almost done. There's about to be a new covenant once again. The big one, the final one. There's about to be a new covenant. But the covenant is not going to be with Abraham's DNA people. It's going to be with any people who will believe and have a heart for God. Because that is what Israel really is. And so Israel is not just going to be Jewish Israel, if you would. Israel is going to be opened up to anyone who will believe. There's about to be a new people of God, new Israel. And it's going to have all races and all colors and all tribes and all languages. There's about to be a new temple. But it's not going to be a building made with bricks and stones and mortar. It's going to be a living temple of human beings who have a heart for God. And God's no longer going to live among His people. Now God is going to live in His temple. In His people. Let me read you the prophet Ezekiel now and you'll see it. I will give you a new heart in that day. I will give you a new spirit. I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. And I will give you a heart of flesh. Watch these words. And I will put my spirit in you. God's presence in a living temple, in a new Israel. And this is how I will execute the new covenant and when God renewed that promise of his spirit Joel the prophet had also prophesied about it let me read you what Joel said because these are the very words that Peter quoted on the day of Pentecost Joel said and afterward in the coming time I will pour my spirit on all people no longer uh, genealogically biologically DNA Jews But I will pour my spirit onto any human who will have a heart for God and follow me. Anyone who will bow the knee to King Jesus. I'll no longer care what color your skin is or what language you speak or who your parents are. None of that will matter. Do you have a heart for me? It's a marriage ceremony. God's proposing, will you say yes? And if you say yes, he's going to put a ring on your finger and the Holy Spirit in your heart. And say, you are my people, you are my bride, you are my special, precious treasure that I will lay down my life for. How special is this? So when Joel spoke, here's what he said. And afterward I will pour my spirit on all people, and your sons and daughters will prophesy And your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now, let's talk about the timeline again, those days. So, from Christ's first coming, this is Christmas, Easter, Ascension, the Gospel, 
from Christ's first coming to Christ's second coming, the return of Christ, which we're still waiting for. In this period between Christ's first coming and his second coming, the Holy Spirit is the renewed presence of God in the people of God. Now this is how Peter, James, John, Paul, and all the writers of the New Testament, the Bible is the Old Testament to them. And so when they see what happens at Pentecost, Peter says in Acts 2, this is the fulfillment of Joel the prophet. The Spirit has been poured out upon all people. Your sons and daughters will blah, blah. And he's quoting that and saying it's being fulfilled this minute right now. This is it. From Christ's first coming to Christ's second coming, the presence of God has been renewed among his people and he now indwells each and every believer. This is the new covenant in action. So in this time in which you're now living, the time between the first and second coming of Jesus, the Bible language will be for you, the Holy Spirit is in you, not just among you. He is in you, and the, the language in the New Testament will be, you are God's temple. Now, this is used two ways in the book of 1 Corinthians. I want to show you both real quickly. The Holy Spirit is in you as an individual. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Paul said, I want you to know this. You are that living temple. You're the hot spot. You say, we're waiting for Israel to rebuild the temple. Why? We're not waiting on Israel to do anything. Because in this era, Israel is you. Anyone who has a heart for God. And you are the new temple. You take God wherever you go. He's not sitting in a building somewhere. He's in you. Take him to work tomorrow. Take him to school tomorrow. Take him down the highway with you tomorrow. Wake up and say hello tomorrow. You're going to take him with you wherever you go. But Paul says it's also true in another sense. I think the first one we get, it's this one we don't get. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we don't get it because of the language problem between Greek and English. 1 Corinthians 3 says this. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? The Holy Spirit is not just with us as an individual temple. The Greek word right here is y'all. And the argument Paul is making in 1 Corinthians 3 is not an individual argument. He's saying y'all as a church are the living temple of God. So two things. The Spirit is in you as an individual But somehow, supernaturally, the Spirit of God is right here with us and in us is a collective of believers called a church. And in this age, people don't seem to think the church is a big deal. It's a pretty big deal to God because it's one of the only two places in the New Testament He says, is my temple. I dwell among the people of God as the collective. And when we come together to worship, the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, is here with us the people of God, because we are not people of God, according to Moses, unless the presence of God is in us and with us. Now, the Baptists just don't ever talk about it. But how can you worship without the Holy Spirit? 
I'll go further. How can you be saved without the Holy Spirit? God is in you and he's collective with us when we worship as we are this morning. And this is the language of our reality. That God is present. Cornerstone is God's presence in our community. Now you've heard what the Bible says now about God's presence. I've waxed now for more than 40 minutes. But I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to pick this up next week. I'm going to ask you to move beyond head knowledge and try to begin a little more experience. Experience the reality of God's presence. I really want this morning, this message, to be somewhat of a wake-up call to you. A call to action for the whole congregation. That the very presence of God is living with us and in us. He's ready to guide, direct, encourage, come. Everything you need, He is. And we're living below our standard of living spiritually because we are ignoring the fact that God's presence is among us. We're living as if it weren't when it is. We're living as if we were orphaned. We are not orphaned. Pessimism is a not compatible with the life the Bible is describing about you right now. You can't be depressed, Debbie, all the time and negative Nancy. Sorry, Nancy, no offense. You can't be, you, you can't be complaining, Charlie. The spirit of the living God is living in you. If you need something, talk to him. If you're having issues and emotions that are overwhelming, talk them out with someone who can make a difference in your life. Now, here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. And this may be strange, but I'm going to ask you to love your pastor and try. I'm going to ask each of you to join me in acknowledging the Holy Spirit every morning before you put your feet on the floor. I'm going to ask you to wake up every day this week. Maybe you need to elbow your spouse in the morning over there, you know, and say, hey, don't forget to say hi to the Holy Spirit. And I just want you to wake up and begin your day by saying, God, I'm still breathing and you're still with me and praise God and I I love you and I'm glad you're going to, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to face today, but you know what I'm going to face and be with me and in me and I want to pray the prayer of Moses. Don't send me out into this work week unless you go with me. For those of you who are heroes to us, I'll talk to our nurses over here for a minute. Listen, when you go into the hospital this week, that's a great prayer to pray, guys. I know your shifts are long and incredibly difficult, and you're dealing, you see every day what none of us rarely see. I know it looks like a war zone where you're going to go to work tomorrow. Before you ever leave the house, say, God, don't send me to the hospital unless you go with me. And I know by the promise of your word, you go with me. You've indwelt me. You are pleased with me. You know my name. Pray that prayer and say, God, I acknowledge your presence in my life, whatever you have for me today. God, not just good medical care from me, but Lord, let your spirit flow from me to every patient I touch today. Listen, you teachers, I don't know how you go to school every day and do what you do. In the morning, let him say, Holy Spirit of God, don't send me to this stinking school unless you're going with me now. God, I've got three terrorists in my class and a couple of angels, but God, I need you. 
I need you. And don't just let teaching flow from you. It's not just facts and knowledge. There are kids in your class who don't get love. And they have no connection to the Holy Spirit because they have no spiritual people in their life who know God. So as you go to school tomorrow, say, Holy Spirit of God, I acknowledge your presence in my life. You've promised that you know my name. Go with me. And God, let your spirit flow from me to these kids and let me change their lives forever. Let me be that teacher that they'll look back 20 years ago and say, this woman changed my life. Because she didn't just teach me, she loved me. Now, if everybody could just appropriate that to your own context, what I'm trying to say to these people. God's presence is with you. You need to acknowledge it. You're not living in ignorance. You know these things. So we are without excuse to ignore the Spirit of God. I'm going to ask everyone just to make this. We're about three minutes to 12 right now. We've got about three minutes to spend in prayer. I'm going to ask everyone to bow your head. If you want to just kind of make an altar of your, your chair there or maybe come and spend a minute at this altar, Jeremy's going to come and play just for a minute or two. I really think as we take in what was said today, this needs to be a moment of repentance for us. I've tried to make it encouraging and not judgmental. But ladies and gentlemen, we have neglected the Holy Spirit of God. It is a fact. I am 54. I hate to even think about how many days I have lived my life and never said hello. I'm embarrassed. In this moment, I want you just to just make this a moment of repentance. Use the altars if you want to. Pray at your seat if you want to. But let's spend a couple of minutes with our, our God and let's say to him, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I have not acknowledged your presence. I want your presence. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to say to God? God, I want your presence in my life. I, I, I need it. God, how can I survive without it? How can you parent without God's divine guidance in your life? I don't know how you can do it. How can you run a company without God's divine guidance? Uh, how, how can you do what you need to do without God? And the glorious thing is he has given us his presence, but we've just ignored it. In the same way we took for granted all of the things that COVID stole from us. And we just woke up one day and they were gone and we're like, oh no, we can't hug. We can't, we, we can't kiss our grandmother. We can't be together at the hospital. We can't. Listen, in this moment, while we can be in the presence and fellowship of God's spirit. And when we can gather with God's people the new Israel, the New Testament church. Why don't, we, why don't we just throw our heart doors open and say, God, just pour yourself into my life. I long for your presence. And I know the problem, God, is not on your side. You're, you're willing. But God, on my side, I have been negligent.
or hesitant or fearful or afraid or whatever. God, I love you. I need you. If I haven't told you lately, I love you. I need you. I want to be your people. I want to commit my life afresh to you. I want your presence in my life. Maybe you came into this service today while Christians are praying all over the house. Maybe you came into this service and you have no relationship with God. I mean, it's just, you know there's a God, you believe there's a God, but it's never been a personal thing where you've said, God, I want you to be my king, my Lord, my Savior. This could be the transforming moment of your life right now. If that's you that I'm speaking to, why don't you open your heart and life to Jesus Christ right now and accept him as the King and Lord and Savior of your life. And if you're not sure what that looks like, that's done by faith, by believing. And you express that faith through prayer. And if you need to be saved, you need to call upon Christ, why don't you pray with me? I'll help you with the words. You don't have to use exactly my words, but pour your heart out and follow this. Say this to God. Say, God, you see me here. God, you know my heart. God, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. God, I need a Savior, and I know that you are the Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe you're the Son of God who came to this world and died for my sins and rose again. Lord Jesus, I accept you as my King, my Lord, my Savior. I'm going to ask you to come in and be the Lord of my life and forgive me of all of my sins. I receive you and I receive what you did on the cross to pay for my sins. Thank you for the gift of your grace and salvation. And Lord, I commit to you this morning that my life is now yours. Fill me with your spirit. Put your presence in my life, Lord. I accept your presence, and I'm going to live for you for all of my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me today. If you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to share that decision you made with someone before you leave today. Find a greeter, find an elder, a deacon, find somebody, doesn't matter, and just say to somebody I prayed that prayer today and I'm a new Christian as of this morning let somebody pray with you and encourage you Father seal the decisions that we have made in our hearts today God we have a lifetime full of habits and it's hard to get out of those well worn paths and those grooves so God as a church this morning we're going to ask you to help us do that Lord, those habits and those rituals we have in our day that exclude you, we're going to ask you to help us walk differently this week to try to build a new habit of greeting you daily, maybe at midday, bowing our head for a moment and reminding ourselves that even now in the middle of the day, you're still with us and we're here and available for you. God, let us wear that path into our life till that becomes our norm. 
That's what we want to do as a church family. We want to honor you. God, we want you to set your presence among us and in us. We want to be your people. We are your people. And you are our God. Lord, you know us by name. And I pray that you would be pleased with us. This is our prayer as one big family together. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Let's say the Apostles' Creed together. The words should be getting very familiar to you. If I lose my place, you just keep going. Here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. And God's people said...